Hello, and welcome to Break the Line, the podcast where we talk with guests about topics in contemporary poetry. The catch? The guests aren't poets. I'm your host and resident poet, Rebecca Faravar. This month, I spoke with Stephanie Foster, the designer of You, an online poetry journal that publishes poetry with visual art. In her role as designer, Stephanie finds visual art to go with each set of poems in the journal. In this episode, we talk about how she embarks on this process and what can be gained by matching visual art with poetry. To anchor our conversation, we focused on two sets of poem art pairs from past issues of You. Links to the poems and art can be found at my website, RebeccaFarvar.com, by clicking on the podcast tab. You can also check out You at YouJournal.com. That's you spelled Y-E-W. Okay, let's get to the show. I'm kind of a, um, a non-literate poetry enjoyer. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I kind of feel like someone who, who needs glasses and is looking at something and is only getting half of the picture. You know, I can get the... I can get the shape and maybe the color, but I feel like I'm missing the deeper image, deeper meaning. And um, I don't know, just for me, enjoying po- poetry, sometimes having some visuals with it um, makes it connect more. Yeah, and it, it seems like a natural connection almost, like you said. And that was one thing I was struck when looking at the sets of poems that we'll talk about uh, in a minute is how it adds this new dimension to the poem that's already there, but it just almost highlights it in a way. Right, right. Can you tell me a little bit about your editorial process? Like, how do you choose the poems? And then at what point do you add the visual component? Like, what's the sort of start to finish of a poem being matched with a, a visual? Okay. Well, um, Carolyn does all the, the poetry selections. And so she reads through them. I will um, occasionally read through them, but I, I don't feel qualified to, to say what's, you know, what's the best poetry for us to choose. And so, um, I tend to leave that to her. And when she selects pieces that she, um, feels would be a good fit for the journal, then, uh, she hands them over to me and, uh, I read them and, um, I just kind of try to get a feel for it. It is, I mean, I really do feel like it kind of, uh, I'm looking at it from a totally different angle from how Carolyn reads the poetry because she is a poet. She knows the way the the good mixing of the words and the 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 amazing hidden meanings and things. And and I I don't really get that. I get I gloss over the top. And so I kind of read it with to to see what what I feel and what visuals pop into my head. And then um I try to find uh visuals out there that match what what I seemed to get in my head when I read it. But we don't want to illustrate the poem. It, it is kind of, it's kind of hard sometimes to, you know, there, sometimes the most obvious thing would almost make it seem like those bad posters you see on the ceiling at the dentist office. <laughs> and we really don't want that at all. So we want it, I, you know, I, I, we want it more to be kind of something that just enhances the poetry and then that the poetry, you know, so that you get maybe a little more out of the poetry by seeing the image with it. And then the same for the images. We hope that, that people, as they view the images and read the poetry, that maybe they, they understand, have a different understanding of the images than they otherwise would have. 
Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about what you were just saying about not wanting it to be a like a bad poster, but that makes so much sense because uh, if you think about it every day, like with advertisements and uh, we're, we're inundated with image and words that are trying to convey some kind of meaning to us, right? But it's very direct. It's like, we want you to buy this thing or we want to tell you this thing. But But with what you're doing with the pairing, like you said, you don't want to reduce the poem to just sort of an illustration or this is this is what the poem quote unquote means but to get at well what's that underlying current or emotion in the poem or or sort of what's not what's in the poem but not so on the surface right exactly great all right cool well why don't we go ahead and take a look at some of the work so let's first look at our peen Cognalian Grenier, her poems with uh, Melissa Zuniga's artwork. Zuniga. Uh Okay, thank you. (laughs) Zuniga. I didn't write it phonetically well enough for myself. (laughs) So just to sort of describe it first for the listeners, and I was thinking I could put up the the links to these on the website so people could view them, but for people who aren't viewing it right now, so these are paintings uh initially or where like what what can you tell me a little bit about the the artwork sure sure these are paintings and they're they're acrylic paintings first a little bit about the artist she is a young kind of self-taught artist but we met um because we were fellow students in architecture school and she's much younger than i am (laughs) but uh she actually was during architecture school, she was diagnosed with schizoaffective or um, yeah, schizoaffective disorder, which causes hallucinations. And she told me that this is this first image is actually when she's having these hallucinations, what she sees. And so this first image, you can tell that these objects in this painting are people, but it almost looks like they're dissolving or floating away. And the colors are very, very brilliant. It almost looks like a crowd of people walking up a staircase with a really intensely blue sky. And to me, I get the feeling of almost the, the people just evaporating. Yeah, that's, that's actually really fascinating because my reaction looking at it and, and all the paintings in the set kind of have that same sort of shapes of people, but abstract <clears throat> shapes. So they all, you know, you can, you look at it and you sort of say, this feels like it's a person, but it's not as I normally would see a person, you know, like they're some dissolving or they're, you know, curled. But that was, that was sort of what I was thinking is it's like, it's abstract, but it doesn't feel whimsical. You know, it feels there's a, a gravity to it. Right. Right. And, and almost not necessarily a darkness, but a, um, maybe a soberness. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a good way of, of saying it. Cause yeah. I mean, and I guess because you have those bright colors, yeah, it doesn't feel heavy, you know, but, but serious. It doesn't have like this sort of playful, playfulness about it. Well, why don't we read one of the poems uh, and then we can talk a little bit more about the relationship between the artwork and the poems. Is there one you would like to talk about in this set? I think maybe the first one. I think, um, yeah, I think the first one. Okay, great. This is so as not to boil over. The front end of a virus wheels me in like a pair of hue-enabled jaws. This town is fractured witless, thinking feel the proc joints asinine. So as to there, never lesser under the covers, differentiating. Traces of a night I wore manicured toes, green. 
So I hit, hit a wooden machine, hit close to the chance for heart. So by chance, I find some mouth closed, frantic pink columns bowing to fabric. As I did not need the machine, did not have to hit joints, discounted keys, patterned after the electric pumping so, dumping columns and rows on fours, bowing to the plate, passing me by, green over murky yellow, scratched corners up, jutted. This is how the green of the town sets. A first grader gives me her lunch pail in which her mother has so carefully prepared a sandwich with the bread crust removed so it feels soft and pure like a piece of love I take to the classroom and swallow while the children are still playing in the yard. Well, yeah, this was the first graders, but it's after lunch now, so a leftover, and I do eat leftovers. I also eat what I found, like what I found the other day by the door of the sixth grade classroom at another school I subbed at. Sure, it was on the ground, but wrapped. Therefore, most likely, mostly okay. I grabbed it after looking both ways down the hallway so no one could see me. Then inside the classroom, I swiftly lapped it up. Another time, I ate something like 10 pieces of candy from a huge bag of candies this one teacher had in his classroom. Now that was not leftover. It was for the kids, surely, but the bag's so full no one would notice, I thought. I have been invisible that way many times, sometimes after the fact. Great. Thank you. That was great. Um, when you read this poem, what made you make the connection between the poem and the, the painting? You know, to me, reading as a non-poet, you know, the the first part of the, the poem is, you know, kind of disjointed, kind of almost streams of thoughts that kind of connect, but maybe don't. And, but it seemed like, you know, when you are in, I mean, it seemed like a crowded, a crowded place almost. Um, all these thoughts that were kind of crowding together and maybe a little uncomfortable. It just felt a little bit off kilter. And I thought that um, that Melissa's paintings kind of, you know, it's familiar, but at the same time, it's a little off kilter, not necessarily in a bad way, but a potentially confusing way or um, but still beautiful. And so I just felt like they were a really um, a good fit because they seemed to me to give me kind of the same same feeling. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially this idea when he sort of gave the backstory about how the paintings are related to these hallucinations that the artist experiences. That last stanza, that's a big chunk of prose, you know, starting with a first grader gives me her lunch pail, and it all sort of meshes together. That that part feels so uh, manic and is such a shift in the poem. That's fascinating, in part because kind, kind of relating to what you said, it's all pieces that are recognizable but the presentation and the the how it's all tumbling in together and this idea of an adult eating food off the ground or eating candy that's meant for children it's all things that are somewhat mundane but also seem just slightly off which which really connects with the the painting as well um this is something that's like you said slightly off and now you had mentioned earlier that you had a little bit difficulty finding a visual to match this set of poems. Um, like what, what was the sort of difficulty with it? I think, you know, when I first, when I first read it, it was before I had seen these particular paintings of Melissa's. I, I was familiar with her work, but mostly with her drawings and, you know, her drawings are often quite realistic and they don't have this ethereal quality 
necessarily. And so, you know, as I read this, I, I kind of felt like, hmm, you know, what am I going to put with this that that would work? And, you know, sometimes the fallback to that is, oh, let's go abstract. <laughs> um, <laughs> can't think of something. Let's put some shapes and colors up there. Happened to be looking through Melissa's artwork, knowing that she might be someone whose work I would want to use. And I just, scroll as I was scrolling through her pieces, I saw this one and I just thought that that is the, the match, that that's what needs to go with this poetry. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned when you were just talking now that you have images in your head as you're reading the poem, but it's difficult to express it in words, like I mean, as best as you can in words, right? <laughs> but like, but like, what what is that experience like for you as you're reading the poem? You know, everyone's a little bit visual, and you know, if I say fork, an image pops into your head of a fork. You know, it's we're all very visual, and we we connect images to words. My problem is I'm much much stronger in the images part than the words part, and for me, you know, reading it, maybe the same images wouldn't pop up as as what someone else would. I I think it's just, you know, as I read through, some words feel stronger than others. And so those images become stronger, you know, you know, like as you read, uh, so I hit, hit a wooden machine, you know, machine has connotations. You, when you hear the word machine, you know, we often think of a visual of a type of machine or a um, mechanical thing. And I think a lot of people can read these things and the the words mean enough that the images don't necessarily pop into their brain. For me, as I'm reading these things, it's almost like a translation. As I read these words, the images of these things, um, like the iconic type images of these things, tend to pop into my head. And so as I read the words, often I'm kind of visualizing a, a kind of visual poem of, you know, the, the my meanings of these words. And it seems too the poet is guiding you to that as well, because like the place where you, you just read, so I hit, hit a wooden machine, hit, close the chance for a heart. That repetition of hit is really drawing your attention to that line uh, as well. So it's kind of like you're picking up on what the poet is wanting you to focus on, you know, maybe seeing it in a more visual way, but still that's an area where she's drawing attention. Right, right. One thing I wanted to ask earlier that I, I forgot to is that the poems are all in sets of three with you know, three poems and three uh, paintings. Why, you know, why do you guys organize the, the journal that way so that it's more of like sets of, of artist work and their poems as opposed to a one-off because you could imagine it being one poem one piece of work and at first it kind of was you know we tended to try to select because we just do this once a month we felt like the poets would probably appreciate having more than one piece and and so we we like to to have we feel like three is a good number, but if you look through the archives, it's not always three and if you look at some of the earliest issues, we didn't always have art from the same artist um, with those sets. And they sometimes read more as as singles. But with the architecture background, design has become really, uh, really important to me. And so from a design standpoint, it just seems to be more visually appealing if we keep it in sets and keep the, you know, one artist with one poet. And it just seems to me to flow better. But you will see examples, especially in our earlier editions, that we didn't always do that. It's kind of what we've evolved into. Yeah, I mean, the three, I really like that 
because it also feels like there's a more of a relationship with the artist and the poet, you know, just because you have a little bit more to work with. And it's really this, these two paired together, let's watch them walk through <laughs> these, these poems. Why don't we go ahead and now we'll talk about poems by Sheila McMillan and actually with artwork that, that you designed. So I guess before reading the poems, could you talk a little bit about the artwork? It looks like they're drawings or are they watercolor here? Well, they're both. They're actually, um, it's, a, it's a pencil and ink drawing with, with watercolor. And these, I'm also a, a biologist, and I've spent many years studying aquatic insects. What you're seeing in these um, images is one of my very favorite, which is a Dobson fly larva, and they're commonly known as Helgramites. And they, they're in the family Chordalidae. They're just, I just think they're, they're amazing. <laughs> they, are, they are absolutely gorgeous. And I love the dichotomy of them because, you know, if you look at a, a they're, they're really large insects. I mean, the, the mature ones, right before they're ready to um, pupate, and pupate into the actual fly, which is also a very large animal, you know, they could be, you know, three, four, five inches long. These, well, not five, that may be exaggerated, but, but, <laughs> but they're very large and they have these humongous mandibles that are serrated and hard and they're uh, their head and that first um, thoracic carapace is is hard and it's uh, almost black or dark brown with these beautiful lacy white markings on the head and that and the thorax and so that to me they're this real dichotomous animal because they're they're hard and yet their bodies are kind of squishy you know and they're they're fierce but they're beautiful and they're you know they have all these really beautiful feathery gills all down their body. To me, I, I just find them absolutely fascinating. They're, they're gorgeous creatures. They, are, they don't have the colors in them that I've put in these paintings. They're more of a, a brown or a, a green, a, you know, kind of a, a brownie green to almost black creature. But I, to me, I, you know, they are so gorgeous. And I can imagine that any, anyone else would see them in a very different light. <laughs> And might find them, you know, repulsive or horrible or ugly. And so I wanted to try to convey them in a way so that someone who was normally repulsed by insects would see these and understand that they are these beautiful creatures. And so that's why there's there's some color there that's that's not normally there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, because when I looked at them, I sort of, my impulse was this is uh, like in a biologist sketchbook. You know, it's not a precise uh, drawing that you would see in a, in a textbook or in a science book, but the interest in the details uh, of this creature definitely seemed to come from a specific, someone who would have knowledge of, uh, of the creature and an appreciation of it. But because with all the colors, the watercolor in there, it had that feel of like, oh, this is something someone would do as uh, for pleasure, as opposed to as an illustrator, but it has elements of a precise illustration to it. Right, right. Okay, well, let's go ahead. Um, I'm going to read the poem here. thought we would just talk about the first one. Hey, Big Wild, in which Frank closes eyes and builds Mateo. A promise. Your arms and legs, your head will be sewn together. On severed flesh, my duty calls, that thousands of ants press against and bite in anger your wounds closed. Here it is my turn to detach the bodies, and the ant, ant head sutras will be the most life our enemies see in you. 
I am frank, as I am called. Lions are beautiful in their anger. Life will hate your beauty. A promise. A torso and a groin and a soul will be sewn together with string and brass. The lightning trapeze fell into the dehydrated city while you were sleeping. I have to wake you to tell you there will be no woman's tongue for you. Beauty will hate your life. If your hair should ever tangle, it will fall as hunks of coral onto your shoulders. You will never feel gentle fingers on your temple. We must know our enemies. Our families are 500 large, all in our ovaries. Through us, we preserve them. The bears have all been shot for your warmth and all the candles taken from the light post for your hands. How could I ever believe how much you love me? I will never believe how much you love me. Stop me. You are big and wild, but I will always be full of a fluctuating heart, veal and muscles to dine on. You will only work as an engine works. So this poem's a bit different from the other one. It's, um, you know, a bit, the, the style here, it's it's all in one, one stanza, no stanza breaks. We have a lot of different images floating about. And this poem in some ways feels more naturally visual to me than the other one. But you said when you read it, you started to get really specific images in your head. So could you talk a little bit about that process? Sure. You know, as I read it, to me, I had this this feeling of this, this strong dichotomy and this, you know, it's almost, you know, you get images of creation and death and get these feelings of these opposing forces. And of course, there is the almost literal image, you know, of, of the ant, you know, the severed ant heads and those mandibles. And, you know, that, that image of, of the ants, you know, probably played a role in, in this image to me that came to my head of these Helgramites because they, the mandibles are such a, a huge forceful part of, of these creatures. And, um, you know, so I think that was, you know, a part of the imagery that, that I, that I got from this poem, but also I think it, it kind of, the Helgramite fits so well with some of the, the other images, I know that that um, beauty will hate your life, and uh, that our families are five hundred large, all in our ovaries. I don't know for some reason those those phrases just. I, I guess the image of the Helgramites was in my head, maybe from from the line about the um, the severed ant heads. But as I got that image in my head, it seemed to fit so well with the rest of the poetry, um, and it was such a strong image that. Um, I just could not let that image go. You know, like the lines you pointed to kind of have that, like, especially the, our families are 500 to large and all are in our ovaries. That does seem insect-like <laughs> in a way. But too, it struck me, the start of the poem, a promise, your arms and legs, your head will be sewn together. And then later again, that's repeated with uh, a promise, a torso and groin and a soul will be sewn together. And this idea of segmentation of the body feels so related to insects as well because their bodies are in segments and without the poem throughout this poem the body is sort of dismantled in a way and there's a focus on the pieces of it that just feels yeah like an insect you know like an insect's body right right I like too what you said earlier talking about how you find this the Helgramites beautiful and there's beauty in them and wanted to show that but yet other people would find them ugly and throughout this poem like you pointed out beauty will hate your life but there there is this attention to sort of ugly things <laughs> as well but in an attempt to 
it, it seems like an attempt to find beauty in that, or at least present it in a beauty way, because there certainly is this attention to the grotesque. And then sort of funny lines around beauty as well, like lions are beautiful in their anger. That That is sort of uh, an intriguing view of beauty as well. So there, there definitely is a play with, well, what is beautiful? And kind of challenging that, that also seems to relate to, to the image of these Helgramites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, great. Uh, let's see. Um, I just want to say, I think it's a really fascinating project you guys have working here. And, and I love the interaction between visual art and, and poetry. And obviously, that's sort of what I'm trying to do with the podcast, not just visual art, but looking at the intersection of other disciplines and other art, and how that relates to poetry and how that provides a different lens for understanding the poem. Um, you know, because like you said, you, you don't read it as a poet, you read it as someone who's visually inclined or like a visual artist, which is still a, you know, valid reading that provides us with this pairing that adds a different dimension. Like I really felt when I read these poems that the images definitely helped direct or draw my attention to certain aspects of the poems. It's it's kind of, I think it has become kind of fun for for the poets and and for Carolyn just to see what what I will come up with next I mean I think it's kind of for me it's a puzzle it's you know how do I fit this with you know what can I fit with this and so I think it's really fun for someone who has written these things and obviously they have meanings for them in their head and how it should be interpreted just to see how a non-poet interprets their their work. And um, I think sometimes, you know, they see it in a new light, or sometimes they're like, yes, that's exactly, exactly what I wanted to say. And and with this, uh, Sheila McMullen, you know, she's, she said something to that effect. It's like, you know, she felt like that was addressed the soul of her, of her poetry. And, you know, that's always thrilling when I feel like that I did get it right, that the poet is very happy with it, or the artist is like, wow, you know, the, the, the poetry that you put my work with just, you know, was just touched the work in, in such a new way. So that's always exciting to me. Yeah, it sounds like, and I can imagine for the poet, I mean, it is really satisfying when you see how other people read your work um, and and when they point out something to you that was definitely there all along, but you maybe didn't realize it. <laughs> or then, you know, conversely, like, oh, yes, you got exactly what I meant. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but both can be exciting because it's so much fun to just, uh, well, maybe fun's not the right word, <laughs> terrifying, uh, <laughs> but also satisfying when uh, when your work's out in the world and to hear the reaction others have to it. So to experience it not just in a typical, well, let's close read this poem and do kind of analysis but oh let's you know do this visual pairing uh and have this visual analysis of the poem so to speak it's so new that i can imagine it would be very satisfying for the poets yeah okay great that's pretty much all my questions so thank you so much for talking with me i really appreciate it well thank you for having me this has been fun excellent um, i look forward to um hearing more of your podcast oh thank you (laughs) thank you interview next thanks so much (laughs) all right thank you (laughs) 